Welcome to the Connections Podcast, presented by the Nebraska Safety Council, serving all of Nebraska since 1961, providing education and leadership to empower people to live safe and healthy. Now, here is your host, Nebraska Safety Council Executive Director, John Leffler, Jr. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Connections Podcast. Glad to have you back again. Um, we are streaming live on Facebook as well as X, but um, as always, thanks to the good folks, Cam, Chris, and the rest of the crew at Herdat Media, we will have this podcast available for you to uh, check out um, on our website at nesafetycouncil.org, and you can actually check out some of our past uh, episodes as well. We kicked off this year um, and really the first part of the year, we, we are addressing emotional well-being in the workplace. And uh, with that discussion, we've jumped into a few different areas. We uh, had visited um, about occupational well-being in the workplace, ergonomics, the challenges uh, for staff working from home. You can check that out. That was uh, our last episode. Today, we will be speaking about financial well-being and uh, how it relates to to mental health and how it might not only be affecting you but affecting the people that you manage your co-workers and what they might be dealing with some pretty startling statistics about how finances and i think we all know this that that finances play a major role in our day-to-day life our, our activities our relationships with our spouse family um, what we're able to do pressure that we might feel, uh, it does weigh on you. In fact, according to a, to a study published in Forbes magazine, employees that felt or feel secure about their finances, they felt 84% quote happier versus 55% and engagement in the workplace was much, much higher, about 78%. But over half, 57% of respondents in this Forbes survey uh, identified finances as the leading cause of stress in their lives. That is, the leading cause was finances. Um, We have a great group of uh, folks that are going to be joining us here today, our panelists. Uh, Some some of the topics that we want to touch on, and if you've watched this Connections podcast or listened, you know that we we tend to... uh, touch on a lot of different areas, but the areas that we do want to uh, to touch on today would include financial literacy and really defining what that is. Also, when you hear the term wealth management, um, how that might relate uh, to you, to me, uh, what, what do you consider wealth? How do you build wealth? Um, uh, talking a little bit about some financial health as a default. And, and what I mean by that is helping our our employees and for those of us that manage people to to learn more and consider auto enrollments and plans that help them to save um, or even escalating those uh, investments or um, the money that they're putting away we'll talk a little bit about uh, financial capacity the the ability and and understanding and, and being able to measure how much we actually know about what we need to be doing when it comes to our finances, because all of it uh, weighs on our mental health. And uh, fortunately for us, our panel, who is in the the heart of tax season right now, has been able to take out some time. We are going to meet that panel and uh, we are going to jump into 
uh, our discussion here in just a moment. But before we do, I did want to make sure that we uh, thank the good folks over at Garner Industries. Uh, founded in 1953, sponsor of today's Connections podcast, Garner Industries specializes in plastic injection molding of small to medium-sized parts, short to medium-run precision machining of metals and plastics, custom tool building, and wire EDM services. So clearly nothing that I would know about. But uh, we are huge fans of Garner Industries. They have been members of the Nebraska Safety Council for quite a long time now, and uh, we appreciate their support of the Connections podcast. So many thanks to Garner Industries. We've got a great panel uh, to help us out today as we talk about financial well-being, and we are going to meet them next. That is coming up on this Connections podcast. Join us for our monthly Nebraska Safety Council Community Day, the first Friday of every month at Gateway Mall. Stop by between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. for a complimentary blood pressure check. Test your driving skills in our drive simulator. Learn about the dangers of distracted and impaired driving wearing our impairment goggles. Prizes, demonstrations, and more at Gateway Mall in Lincoln. Welcome back to the Connections Podcast. John Leffler, Jr., Executive Director of the Nebraska Safety Council. Today we are talking about mental health and money matters, financial well-being, uh, and how that affects um, you, how it affects the people that you manage, and how we can uh, build to uh, to educate those uh, around us, not, not just at work, but uh, friends, family, um, on financial literacy, which is one of many topics that we're going to touch on today. As always, uh, joined by the wellness services manager here at the Nebraska Safety Council. I shouldn't say as always, but she's back again, Kelsey Proust. Many thanks, Kelsey, for for joining us. Glad to have you. Always. Um, we're also uh, joined by Brittany Planos. Uh, Brittany is UBT's financial literacy program manager. She's passionate about drawing on the strengths of the local community to empower its members to reach their financial goals. Brittany is an accredited financial counselor, the highest standard for the field of financial counseling and education. Her efforts in financial literacy have been recognized by the Nebraska Bankers Association and the Next 100 Omaha. Brittany, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Chris Bedian is also joining us today as a partner and wealth advisor at HBE. Chris works with individuals and families to address their diverse financial needs. His comprehensive and customized approach to financial planning includes advising his clients on their investments, saving for retirement, estate planning, philanthropic giving, tax strategies, and other aspects unique to their circumstances. Chris, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Finally, uh, Michael Henkenius. Michael joined UBT, uh, Union Bank and Trust, back in 2016. He brings with him 15 years of experience as the Director of Planned Giving and Executive Director of the Catholic Foundation of the Diocese of Lincoln, earning his law degree from Creighton. Michael's favorite uh, part of his job is meeting with clients, as he puts it. I get to learn about their families, careers, and lives in a personal way. Also interesting about Michael, he's a scratch golfer. Uh, and is a welcome on our Connections podcast today, despite the fact that he is a Creighton Blue Jays fan. <laughs> Appreciate hey that. Hey now, I'm a Blue Jay too. <laughs> oh, that's right. There we go. There's two. I, I, you know what? I saw that. I saw that, and I thought, you know what? They're ganging up on us. But you know what? Chris is probably going to tell me John, he's a Creighton fan. It's a red state. It is a red state. It is absolutely a red state. No, kidding aside, Michael, Chris, Brittany, Kelsey, thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, Brittany, I want to start with you. 
Um, we were visiting here in the uh, in the virtual studio before we uh, got underway, and we were talking a little bit about financial literacy, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this is a term that is not new, but it's not something that maybe we were talking about 30 or 40 years ago. I don't think that the, the phrase financial literacy was something that was out there. Um, I found a statistic that, that I wanted to share with you. You probably already know this, but 72% of U.S. adults said they would be further ahead with their money if they had a personal finance class in high school. Nebraska is one of 25 states that actually requires a personal finance class to graduate high school. Now that's a jumping off point. I think we can all agree on that. But as a community, what are the strategies that we can employ to drive continuous education with personal finance at home and in the workplace? How do we improve financial literacy? Yes, um, I wish I had all the answers on that. <laughs> in a oh, thank you for joining right? us. We're gonna go ahead and mute you. Um. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, community financial health, it's a shared responsibility. I think that we all agree that financial literacy and education is important. And it's an issue that continues, I think, to have bipartisan support, which is great. But I think it's the, you know, what are we going to do about it piece? So that's the real challenge. And I think that schools alone um, can't do all of the heavy lifting. I think there's amazing things happening within our school districts when it comes to financial literacy and personal finance. But financial education gaps, they're layered and they're complex. And for one, I think about all of the cultural and linguistic differences in banking and money management. Um, Lincoln's a refugee city, um, as, as many of you know, and so the way that we um, administer credit in the United States, for example, is completely different um, than many other countries. And so the U.S. also tends to focus more on individual autonomy um, in managing money. And so improving outcomes, I think, while navigating some of these cultural norms and expectations around, you know, who in the family should manage money, what does that look like, as well as even, you know, some religious differences around borrowing money and earning interest, it's really challenging. So um, I think that, um, you know, per personal finance and financial literacy, um, it, it really does take a village and it takes place in a lot of different settings. So um, I think that it's something that, you know, it's, it's going to take our schools, but it's also going to take our financial institutions. It's going to take state, local government. I think it's going to be a, a, a triage of many different folks working together to improve outcomes. So, Michael, I want to jump down to you really quick um, to, to kind of to Brittany's point. Um, she talks about or talked about the, the cultural differences that might affect someone's financial literacy or just their comfort level. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about when it when it comes to to wealth management, which is something that you do with that is estate giving. And and I think that one of the thoughts that I've had in, in recent years is my folks are kind of getting older and they talk to me a little bit about, hey, this is what we have. Here's the key for the safe deposit box. You know, there's not, those aren't fun conversations to have when you have conversations about your, your folks' mortality. But I also, it almost feels like a different time when my grandparents and their grandparents would leave these just I'm, I'm probably not the best way to put it, but literally like leaving these piles of money for their kids and saying, hey, this is how much you got. We love you. Go on with your life. The concern that I have when you talk about wealth management and what I think maybe is at the forefront of some people's minds um, 
when you maybe get to be more my age where you have parents that are getting older and you're thinking about your own retirement is what what are what are realistic rational thoughts to have about wealth management is wealth management i've got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that i need to come talk to you about or is it can, can we start at a much lower level than that and and have a have a legitimate conversation about it i think when you talk about Wealth management can, is really for everybody, and whether you're, you know, in the upper one percent or, or you know, you're, you're working class. It there's some fundamentals that everybody can, kind of address and should have. Um, and you had talked about your own personal family story. A lot of times when we meet with our clients, we talk about um, estate planning, kind of focusing on that will topic you had. We always encourage people, um, and it's hard for everybody to do, but we encourage people to, you know, if when you're working on your estate plan to really have those discussions with your family, with your kids, so that they're not caught off guard after you pass away. And um, they know what, what your goals are, why you're doing what you're doing with your plan, what's important to you, you know, if you have some charitable goals for your family, why that's important to you. So really to try to make it a learning experience and maybe that can kind of motivate family members, educate them and then motivate them also to kind of do their own planning. That's that's kind of one thought that came to my mind. Um, but also I think people should have just basic uh, planning tools or documents done. Like everyone should have, uh, especially if you have if you have kids, you should just have a will. Um, you should have a power of attorney for your business dealings. You should have a medical power of attorney. You know, if something were to happen to me, um, particularly if I'm a single person, you can name somebody to make healthcare decisions for you. So the, and a, a final thing that I think everybody should be aware of is just to make sure, you know, when you're working at your employment and you've got a 401k, just, to know your beneficiary designation. There's just some simple things that no matter where you fall on the spectrum, we all can have those kind of fundamental estate planning tools that, that give me the peace of mind. So I have a, so I have a quick question. So again, I'm, I'm out, I'm doing member visits. I'm having conversations and financial wellness is something that's coming up. Are there resources that can be incorporated on the work site to bring some of this, to those employees who are working in these environments. Yeah, I know it. I know it at Union Bank, and I know um, we're not unique in that respect. Um, we do have lots of educational resources for our employees <clears throat> on our website. We also, you know, um, companies like like Chris's company HBE also has lots of educational resources they push out to clients that uh, I, I know I, I get those newsletters from HBE. Um, but on our Union Bank website, if it's that's a public website, we have a number of resources there. If you click on the Learning Center um, and you drop down, there are lots of things from estate planning to building your credit, owning your home, investing, retirement, managing money, home equity. Those are types of things. Um, that we have that's uh, for the public, but also we try to focus um, 
internally to our employees with with seminars, with monthly newsletters, that type of thing. I think more and more employers are providing that for their employees. And if they're not, they should look into doing that. Brittany, do you feel that it's it's becoming more incumbent on the financial institutions to provide that educational piece? I know you said that the heavy lifting can't be done completely by the schools, but it, it, is that something that we're going to be seeing more and more of that it will be assisting employers with, listen, we understand you've got your day-to-day activities that you're trying to manage. Allow us to be able to come in and just provide this basic you know, understanding. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's already happening, which is great. I get requests even here in the community to come and speak to employees just about basic money management, which I love. And I think, you know, to be honest, especially for nonprofit organizations, don't always have those resources, especially if you're operating on grant funds or a limited budget. You're relying on what other resources are there in the community to support your employees or to support clients. And so, I'm, um, you know, feel very thankful that UBT that we're able to provide a dedicated financial literacy program. Um, to be honest, we have a lot more resources than some nonprofits. So if we can use, you know, our community involvement funds in those ways to get out and serve the community, I think that's a really cool thing. Chris Bedian is with HBE, and to, to Michael's point, with just some of those tools to be able to use to to get a kind of create that foundation or that baseline to be able to work from. How often and what sort of questions should you be asking yourself, whether, you know, if you're single with your spouse, um, with, you know, larger family unit, what questions and how often should you be reviewing um, and, and sort of evaluating what your financial plan is? Well, John, the short answer is daily is too often. Annually is not often enough. So it's somewhere in between. So again, John Kelsey, thanks for inviting uh, me onto the program. Well, I would say like at its most basic point, you know, whether you're sitting in on the 40th floor of an office in New York City with a big marble conference table or you're sitting in the park on a bench, anybody can develop a, 50, uh, a financial plan. It doesn't have to be like a 50 page document. It can be as easy as taking a piece of paper out at the top. You put assets on one side, liabilities on the other. And then you just start writing them down. Lots of people have a phone. You can take out the notes piece. But you think about the assets, it would be, well, what do you own? Do you have a bank account, checking or a savings? Do you have a workplace retirement account? Do you have an IRA? Maybe you own a vehicle, own a home. All of the things you own fall into the last assets category, not columns. So you just put them all down. You go over to the liability side, you start thinking about, okay, so what do I owe or who do I owe? Do I have student loans? Do I have mortgage debt? Do I have other personal debt? Then after you put the assets minus the liabilities, you're going to get some number. That's your net worth number. You would be amazed to know how many people we sit and have these conversations with. They're like, hmm, that number is really interesting. Either it's a lot larger or a lot smaller than they would have guessed at the outset of a conversation. So we say the starting point again, is just putting together a simplistic net worth statement. Then what you do is start to apply rates of return. A lot of us have heard about the Fed increasing interest rates significantly in 2022, early 2023. But you start to think about on the asset side, are my assets growing at 1%, at 2%, at 6%, at 10? You start to get an idea of here's where I'm at today. If I was to look at this one year from now, how are those numbers going to change? 
you do the exact same math on the other side, not to bore everybody with having to do a big math problem, but on the liability side, there's been a lot of news media around mortgage rates. You know, you used to be able to get a couple of years ago, you could get a home loan, 15 year loan at three, three and a half percent. Now you're looking at six and a half, seven, closer to 8% for a 30 year loan. So it's all about having a high quality understanding, at least starting out, what do I own? What do I owe? Taking a peek at the net worth number, just a simple A minus B equals C. And then to say, if I were to sit down a year from now, what would these numbers look like? So that's kind of the starting point with the financial plan. The second piece of that is looking at a basic cash flow. Cash flow just meaning how much do I spend every month? Well, I made $5,000. I didn't save any money. So my spending is $5,000. And you just apply that times 12 to get an annual number. Because then it's really helpful to say, if you're not spending all of your income, are you paying down your liabilities or are you putting it in the bank accounts and increasing your assets? Because then, especially if you're in a household where there's more than one person making financial decisions, you can say, okay, well, this is interesting. Here's what our net worth number is. How are we making the liabilities go down or the assets increase? And then you have a lens to look through for that conversation on a go forward basis. Those would be a couple of the things that I would point out some tips uh, for those that are listening in. Well, I think you, you brought up something, Chris, and this is a question for everybody. You, you use the word own. And I, I think that, you know, one of the if you're like probably a lot of people extremely busy, you might be looking at headlines, reading the first paragraph of a story. You're not really diving in to the meat and potatoes of, of an actual issue. You hear a lot about, well, young people just can't afford to own a home right now. My wife and I purchased our home in our mid 20s. Um, I, I don't foresee with the way things are right now that my nephew and niece, you know, or any of them, we're going to be able to purchase a home anytime soon. I might be speaking completely out of left field, and that's not true. What you do hear a lot about is how you can get your credit score right. And you got a great credit score. And credit score, credit score, credit score. As the father of an 18-year-old getting ready to go into college, the last thing I want in her hand right now is a credit card. <laughs> Now, when I, because of personal experience that we do not need to jump into, we don't have enough time on this podcast, but I, I, I just feel like we have, we have, you're telling me, you're talking and I keep hearing the word own, but a lot of what you see out there, you, you don't really own anything, but you've got stuff. <laughs> and I just wonder how... How we, when you speak to the to the idea of financial literacy, that to me sounds like you're not really solving an issue. You're not really thinking about five, ten years from now. Am I am I off base with that? Everyone, everyone smiling. No, no. I think uh, you know, with credit, definitely plays plays a role in that, and I think that credit can. Having good credit can help lead us to be able to borrow, which can help us to acquire assets, right? Like a home, potentially like a car, an education, all good things. But I think what we're talking about with a credit card debt as like consumer debt, that really mm -hmm. doesn't lead to owning really anything that's an asset, right? Nobody's going to want, you know, the pair of shoes you bought. <laughs> that's really not an asset. Um, not in the same way that your home or your car would be, right? And so um, I definitely think that credit, it is important part of um, financial literacy discussions because it is really hard to acquire assets, which is acquiring wealth, I think, without the ability to borrow. Because as you shared, I feel like it's um, 
really difficult right now to be able to buy anything just outright with with cash on hand, right? For life life's bigger purchases like a home or a car, um, we just don't have that money. So most people are going to have to borrow at some point in their lives for life's major purchases. So, so is that an environmental issue or is that more of a, we, uh, like a financial capacity issue that, that there's just not an understanding with the majority of people on, you know, Chris, you laid out a, a, a simple plan and like, and I appreciate the fact that you mentioned, you know, yeah, just get out the notes on your phone and just start punching in the numbers. I would imagine that there's probably individuals that would find a number that they go, oh my goodness. <laughs> and and they go back to that, I don't really own anything. And I I, I have stuff, but I don't own anything. So what is what is the the strategy, the coaching that you give someone like that to get it turned around to a point where then they can walk into your office or they can walk into Michael's office and say, hey, listen, it's not a lot, but I've got something and I want to start planning with it. I feel like you're moving in a positive direction. A couple of things that are top of mind, then I'll kick it to the others. Um, one of the things that is really, really helpful is just to talk about what are all the options on the table for that person? Say, for example, a classic piece is somebody's coming straight out of school, have an education debt. They're like, do I pay for and save in my 401k plan or do I pay down this debt? All I hear about is the stock market's at an all time high. Mm -hmm. I don't want the stock market to crash and still have this huge debt hanging over my head. How do I balance that out? So again, I think that is, it's really extremely helpful just to go back to the basics to say, as you start to build wealth and what that looks like, again, we would always generally look through a three to five-year time range to say, here are things you can do in the near term. And then here's when you can balance them out to understand as you're making progress. What I mean by that is to say, have a game plan for after you figure out where you're spending your money, where would you like to spend your money if none of your past habits existed? And say, okay. And again, it's something easy to do at the beginning of the year. Today, we're on leap day. We have a way to start over March 1 tomorrow to mm -hmm. say, okay, what does this look like by March 31st? What two or three steps can I take to improve my situation? So oftentimes people are quite surprised when they open their first retirement account through work. They make their contribution. It can be pre-tax. It can be Roth. You can get into the weeds a bit on those items. But along with their contribution, they may have a matching contribution. Then they start to have their first experience with investing in funds to say, well, I put in $500. My statement says $700. Did that $200, does that happen every single quarter? Or was there something unique to understand the why behind it? So I think it's understanding the saving principle, then the investing principle, and then using the tools that Brittany and Michael kind of laid out on all of the debt management side. But I just wanted to a lot of times people are really scared by things that are in the headlines, but just having conversations, listening to podcasts like this, where it just gives them tidbits to where they can see the progress that they're making over time. Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, John, I, sometimes when we're meeting with, with clients um, to just take a step back, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't have is just a budget right? I, I'd, you'd be surprised, yeah. especially younger people, um, well, actually any age, they have no idea what they're spending. And mm -hmm. so I, I've often had conversations with beneficiaries of trusts that we established. 
and I just have them write a budget and track your spending for three months and they're shocked at what they spend money on. So you can get to whatever goal you want, but until you have a budget and know what you're spending and know where you're at, you're never going to get to where you're going. So I think for three, you know, even a month, 30 days, 60 days of track your spending and Mm -hmm. then it'll be eye opening for you. Uh, my, my daughter made the comment to me the other day. She's like, dad, I don't have any money in my account. And I said, well, let's look at your account. I said, when was the last time you ate at home? Cause according to this, never. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Brittany, you had a comment. Um, yeah, just, I think echoing that too. A lot of, um, you know, the, the, I would say the, a lot of the folks that I work with are low income individuals who oftentimes have negative net worth. And so, um, really that foundational piece is exactly what, what Michael said is getting, getting a budget going. I mean, if you have a cash flow issue, if you don't even know what your income is, where you're spending money, it makes it really difficult to make a plan to d- determine, can you save anything at all? Where are you at? How are we going to prioritize debts? And so I think that that that's so super key. Also, too, in budgeting, I was thinking with your daughter too, is unpacking budget categories. I feel like right. the best budget for one is is the one that you're going to use, whether that's an app, whether it's a spreadsheet, um, whether it's a paper and pencil tool. Whatever works for you, speaks to you, is the one that you're going to use. But I think oftentimes we try to fit. Um, fit our spending in, in predetermined categories that come with these budgets. I was working on one the other day that just said food. And I was like, let's unpack that for a second. Is that going to Olive Garden? Is that DoorDash? Is that eating at the dining hall? I was working with a college student and I was like, where's that groceries? I'm like, you might have some spending that you know is necessary, but then you probably have a lot of stuff hiding in there that could be savings. So I said, find categories that make sense to you. Lay out all of your transactions for the last three months, like Michael said, and then identify like what are some patterns there? What are some places that I spend money? And then make categories based on the patterns that you see for your spending. I feel like that's a lot more effective than trying to fit in these, these you know, pre-filled boxes that might not really work for us with the budget so then we don't do it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think every single point that's been made by the three of you right now, while it might not be directly gen- revenue generating necessarily, it's moving in the right direction. It, it's creating a discipline with finances, which really those two have to go together. If, if you want it to build anything, there has to be some discipline and some adherence to a plan. And there are resources out there free and paid that, you know, you can, you can leverage to be able to get you on the right path. You know, I watched an interesting documentary on Netflix the other day when we were kind of ganging up on young people right now, but it really, it touched on, on uh, individuals in several demographics. And it was a, uh, it was a, documentary about day traders and individuals that got into day trading um, as a result of COVID. You know, uh, they were they were at home all the time. They started doing that. And um, when you watch it, I, I felt like it was very well done. As you watch it, you you see how it it wasn't it wasn't investing or saving in the sense of having a plan. It was it, it almost felt like they were they were sitting in a casino every day and that they were they were trying to outwit. You know, it, it, this sounds terrible, like a big brother thing, but they're, they're trying to outwit a, a mechanism that's been in place for decades. And the majority of them at the end of the documentary were still I mean, 
not that living at home is a bad thing, but when you're my age, living at home is not the best. Um, and you know, they were, they were, they were in a position where it just was, um, it was, it was heartbreaking and it was sobering. And I, and I, I think that, you know, when you talk about sit down, make a budget, make a plan, understand that it's not going to happen immediately. You know, Chris, to your point, you see that statement. Oh my goodness, there's $200. Well, you know, wait a minute, sort of like Nebraska weather, things are going to change. I've always said, I feel like the market yeah. is, is a bunch of teenagers, you know, they all are <laughs> freaking out. And then, you know, suddenly nothing has value, but now it all has value, you know, and that's why I'm not in the financial uh, sector. But um, I, I don't know. I, I from your perspective, and Kelsey brought this up before we even started today, because we were kind of joking about tax season and everything and your mental health, yeah. um, you know, as those that work in the financial sector and, and help people. How hard is it for you when someone does come in and you they have negative net worth and you're tasked with figuring out how to get them to a place where they can actually have a financial future. Brittany, I'll start with you. Oh, Chris, uh, it sounds like you've got a... That sounds quick. Yeah, I'll just kick it off. One of my friends that lives on the East Coast in the financial industry, his coin saying is personal finance is more personal than it is finance. What I mean by that, a lot of our behaviors stem from something that one of our earliest experiences of money and in knowing what our pattern is, how we look at money, how we use money, what that looks like. So before we address and say, hey, here are the 10 things that you need to do to get on the right path, stepping back and just asking about, well, what got us to this particular place that we're at today? Just being more, more kind and asking a few questions before we're so descriptive, um, prescriptive and giving all these different things to do, I think is a really, really helpful place to go. Because even if there are 10 amazing things that everybody should do to get on the right path, depending on where somebody's coming from, uh, may have things in different order uh, that you would offer as advice. You guys, I cannot get over how much this sounds like health coaching. Like what yeah. you guys are doing is resonating so much with what we do where it's just, where are you at, where you wanna be and then breaking it down to baby steps. Yeah. So all these people who are overwhelmed and stressed and out of like just panic, cause that's what I'm seeing. Again, I, I'm always going back to when I'm on member visits but people are coming and saying, this is stressful for our employees. It's literally the same process. It's just a different lens and a different perspective of now finance. Sorry, that was my little light bulb moment, but. <laughs> and I can definitely piggyback off that, Kelsey. Um, I completely agree. You know, I mean, financial health, it is health. Just like mental health is health. Um, it's an area I think of overall well-being that, you know, is often left out of that conversation. I think just like, you know, eating nutritious foods, exercising, getting enough rest, um, it's really important to pay attention to our financial health. And so our personal finances, if we think about it, really touch every other aspect of our lives and, yes. and can really impact our other areas of well-being. I mean, money worries, they can harm our physical health. Yep. It can affect our energy levels, our sleep mm -hmm. cycles. We can feel physically sick <laughs> from stress and money worries. Um, mm -hmm. It just leaves us like in this heightened emotional state, right? That mm -hmm. can just harm our self-esteem. It really makes it difficult to make decisions just practicing that self-care and compassion. And so it impacts the you know quality of our relationships with our significant others, our kids, friends, and 
how we show up in the workplace. So um, I think that that's really important to recognize that, you know, health, financial health is health and um, it's important. You know, it's interesting for the longest time talking about mental health was very difficult. It, it was one of those things where admitting that you're you're struggling, admitting that you need help, um, especially with men, I think, uh, was it was very it was it was tough. And now I feel, you know, society is much more accepting of the idea that, you know, you hear about mental health days. You know, you have you'll have an employee that'll say, I am taking a mental health day. I just need to break, you know, and get away from this for a moment. And we've we're OK with that. and We've accepted it. You know, if you break your arm, you go to the doctor, you go to the hospital to get it fixed, to get yourself on the right path. If, if you are having mental health issues, you, you leverage the resources that are available to you there. I, I wonder where do you all feel we are right now as a society with people recognizing that where I am is where I am and that's fine, but I need help and I can go talk to a bank and it's not gonna be like, they're gonna try to take everything that I've got, that they're actually <laughs> trying to help. Because the, I mean, because seriously, the conversation that we're having right now this is it, it's a it's a personal Chris to your point it is a personal conversation where are you let me help mm -hmm. it's interesting right how we um, are becoming more open about talking with, about mental health but we're not about our financial state and well-being and I think that you know if we collectively more normalize that a lot of us didn't get the money memo that might help a lot of people out right just to but get I, but the I conversation anybody, going about money <laughs> yeah but I don't think anybody ever equates status with mental health you know Mm. Status, status is re, is related to your finances. You know, if I've got if I've got tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, clearly I'm doing something right. You know, but there might be folks that walk in that have been given via you know whatever blessing it might be through their family, estate, whatever else. But they might walk into your office, Michael, and and you know, it might give you pause, you might lose your breath that they have no idea what they're doing with this amazing amount of money that they've been given. And you've got to coach them through that. I mean, you you literally have to save them from the mental health issues that could occur if they mismanage uh, that type of money. And I think that that's, that's a really a big part of the discussion that, you know, we, we've been having today is those individual or, or kind of the micro factors that they talk about in finances, you know, all the different things that will play into how people will handle money and how they'll treat it and, and, and view it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had that, Michael? Someone walks in well, with that big that big pile of money and you think to yourself, oh, my goodness, we got to We got to clamp this thing down. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, we work with lots of beneficiaries of trusts whose parents uh, or grandparents or or friend um, left them left them a money but that that grantor the person that made the trust had concerns about their child's uh, financial literacy and their that they had concerns that they'd be a spendthrift um, or maybe they just have um, some issues emotionally, mentally. Um, they're a person maybe with some mental um, issues. And so um, what, what we try to do is, 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 is not stigmatize any behavior, but just try to, to educate um, 
and, and to show them kind of the path forward and, and, and truly to get not to hammer the budget thing, but a lot of people we work with, they don't have that. And so we just try to start with the fundamentals um, and, and show them how how their money could grow. I love I love Warren Buffett's quote, how he he never makes a purchase uh, saying like a, a $70 pair of shoes, right? He doesn't think of it as a $70 pair of shoes. He thinks of it, what will that shoe earn for the next 30 years? That's how much that pair of shoes co- cost me today. And so that's the kind of conversations we try to have with clients to, to see. I think there's a big problem in, in that we're all facing is, is in, in our American society is consumerism, right? It's, we, we're inundated with marketing messages. My wife works in advertising and it's kind of scary, the story she tells me of all the stuff from the, the music at the grocery store that they're pumping and I'm kind of walking down the aisle and it's, it's, that music is programmed to make me spend money. So we're kind of swimming in this consumeristic society and it's hard for us to take a step back and say, okay, what is important to me and what am I going to spend my money on mm-hmm. so that I'm happy? Uh, and, and you, you kind of touched on what I wanted to get to here with our with our, our last question today. You know, we talk about the individual or micro factors, sound personal financing or financial planning, I should say. Um, you know, it's they say it's based on a thorough understanding of your personal circumstances and your goals. So considering financial literacy, considering whether or not you're sitting in that 40th floor office in in New York City or you're just, you know, sitting in your office, you know, in your basement of your home for each one of you. And and Chris, I'll start with you. um, What what are the questions that the couple of questions you should ask yourself from your perspective to have a better understanding of your personal circumstances and establishing your goals? your financial goals. Yeah, where I would start is always like your money can go one of four places. You can spend it on your lifestyle, you can give it to heirs, you can give it to charity, or you can pay tax. I've yet to meet a person that wants to maximize that fourth option of paying tax. It was like, okay, so what types of things do you want to spend your money on what do you want to give to heirs, beneficiaries, kids? What do you want to give to charity? Then you can really start to look through the lens of saying, okay, so here's the amount of money that I have to work with on an after-tax basis. Here's in any given year, again, we would generally set up a three-year plan to say, okay, what's going to happen in 24, 25, and 26? And then on an annual basis before 2025 starts, say, hey, here were the five things that I wanted to do in 2024. Did I get those accomplished? What kind of progress am I making? Don't beat yourself up if you don't get there 100% of the way, but it's progress over perfection and just making sure that if you're in a multiple person household, if there's a couple involved, it's a joint conversation. You're both collaborating and communicating to say, hey, here's what I'd like to see happen. Um, Because again, once the communication's in place, you know where your money can go and then you're checking back every year, at least at a minimum, you can make a ton of progress. 
Michael, I want to kind of modify the question a little bit for you, because one of the comments that you had made at the, at the start of the podcast was about having a conversation with your family when you start that estate planning process. So what are the, for, from my perspective, as, as or, or for someone that you're speaking to that has elderly parents that are, um, they're going to love that I kept saying that, by the way, during this podcast, um, that that they're, they're doing their estate planning. What, what questions should I be asking them about the, their, their estate that they're, they're planning to leave me? I believe. That's great. Um, more and more today with your elderly parents, I bet they still may be sophisticated. Um, no, where's your stuff, right? What, where are your passwords for all of your accounts? We're starting to see that. Uh, where someone passes away and we're the personal representative and we have no idea how to get into their accounts because a lot of us now are doing it online, even if we're in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. So ask them, where's everything located? Do you have a safe deposit box? Do you have all kinds of online accounts? Where are the passwords for that? Where's your will? Is it at your attorney? Is it at your house? Um, and, and then just kind of have the fundamentals, uh, you know, wh what do you expect us to do? I mean, what, what role do you want us to play? And, and that maybe can kind of play out for them. Oh yeah, I guess I should probably fill you in on what's going on with, with what we're planning. Brittany, from your perspective with the different um, communities that you work with and individuals and clearly of all ages, you mentioned, you know, working with a college student uh, a little bit ago, the questions that you would you would pose to them or that they should maybe, you know, ask themselves um, to have a better understanding of their personal circumstances and what their financial goals are. Yeah, I think um, so much about helping, I think, younger adults on their financial journeys just getting started is for them, I, I like to focus on like, what are what are you doing well already in some other areas of your life, right? Because I think so much of personal financial habits, it's based on habits, right? Just doing the things over and over again with consistency, saving each paycheck, regularly contributing to your 401k. It's about developing habits a lot of time. So I said, where have you been successful in some other areas? If we if we miss the money memo and we need help, where have you been successful in other things? It's so it's like, how can you apply that then into some of these financial things? So um, how do we automate things? So I think just th focusing on like what's already working well for you and doing more of it, I think is always a good thing. So sometimes that's a starting point, I think, in, in having um, a more hopeful conversation that, you know, you can do it. It's just going to take time. Let's develop the habit now. Brittany Planos is Union Bank and Trust's financial literacy program manager. Chris Bedian is a partner and wealth advisor at HBE. And Michael Henkenius uh, is with Union Bank and Trust and is uh, director of planned giving and executive director of the Catholic Foundation of the Diocese of Lincoln. To the three of you and Kelsey, thank you so much for joining this afternoon. Appreciate it. All the insight. It was uh, it was fantastic. I really appreciate it very much. Also, thanks to uh, our Connections podcast sponsor for this episode, Garner Industries, a member of uh, the Nebraska Safety Council. You'll be able to hear this podcast again if you would like. Visit us at nesafetycouncil.org. As always, thanks to uh, our producer, uh, Cam Broham with Herdat Media. And uh, we look forward to seeing you and uh, 
discussing again uh, yet another issue. Next time, it'll be social well-being that we'll be discussing on the Connections podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The Connections Podcast is a presentation of the Nebraska Safety Council and produced by Herd at Media. For questions, suggestions, or to inquire about being a guest, please email marketing at nesafetycouncil.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit us at nesafetycouncil.org. Put at Media Production.